Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. episode of the seventh inning stretch podcast i'm your host armando angulo joining me as always is justin wells today we have a action-packed show we're going to talk about mets the nl east uh, matt harvey scott boris that whole fiasco we're going to talk cards cubs pirates it was a great weekend in the nl central that race is uh, really heating up we're going to go down west talk dodgers angels a little bit and then we're going to preview the the big series upcoming this week and that's yanks and jays justin how what are your thoughts man what are your thoughts on the baseball weeks that just passed man crazy weekend too well if we're going to start with uh the Mets, it's never a dull week as a Mets fan. Uh, Scott Boris, once again, really just trying to stick it to the Mets. He always does this, especially with player injuries, because the Mets medical staff, um, I think you're actually practicing voodoo. But, uh, <laughs> no, it seems like whenever a Mets gets hurt, you hear, like, he'll be back in three days, and the next thing you know, he's diagnosed with a degenerative knee or back issue, or he's got to- he needs Tommy John surgery, or he got infotigo. I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing how with, in a city as, as big as New York, with the, the plethora of good hospitals, the Mets managed to get the worst diagnoses possible. But the Matt Harvey thing is really, really interesting just because of the fact that until last week, the whole thing with him in New York was he's this tough guy who doesn't back down from any challenge. And then Boris says, well, we said it'd be 180 innings, and that's what... Dr. James Andrews told us, which if you don't know who Dr. James Andrews is, if an athlete you ever like in the U.S. has had a Tommy John surgery or a rotator cuff surgery or an ACL repaired, he's probably done it. But when you look at what's happened with Harvey's image in the last week, it's been pretty much suicidal for him. So one of the things I haven't seen is a player go from as loved in New York as Matt Harvey was 
to as, you know, I'm not going to say reviled because he's still playing for the team. And obviously him doing well means the team's doing well, because if your starting pitchers are doing well, you're in pretty good shape. But his image as this tough guy, the dark knight, really took a hit. I believe a few weeks ago I said, or last week, I said that the dark that you know the Dark Knight flew a nuclear bomb out of Gotham. He didn't quit after his 180th life saved, which uh, it's it's just um it's just strange considering that tough guy image he's cultivated, where he's now just kowtowing to Boris and Boris's desire to make his 10% off of the 200 million dollars that Matt Harvey's going to get on the free agent market in 2019. But there's been sentiment amongst the fan base to trade him. I go back and forth between saying, yeah, trade him. You can. Uh, Address some other needs. You can use that money to sign the single greatest player who's ever lived in Joanna Cespedes. <laughs> so it's one, it, it bears seeing how it'll play out down the stretch, how much Harvey can pitch in the playoffs should the Mets get there. Looks like they are because they really seem to be stepping on the Nationals' throat. And just to, you know, before we wrap up on the Mets, because obviously this is not a Mets podcast, we do want to talk about the rest of baseball. The last two games as a Mets fan – these are games in past seasons, like especially 2007, 2008, where the Mets lose. Last night, especially, coming, going down 7-1 after Harvey just puts together a stinker and coming back and winning that game 8-7, I, I couldn't sleep after it. I had so much adrenaline that it was you know, hanging on every pitch, and it, it's, what I've missed. it's what I've missed about Mets baseball. I watch a lot of postseason baseball, but it doesn't quite have the same juice for you when you don't have a team in there. I got a lot of juice right now. But let's go to talk about uh, some other series that have some juice right now. Over the weekend, the Pirates took two out of three from the Cards, right? The Cubs have crushed the Cards twice this week. It's tightening up, isn't it? Yeah, man, it's getting pretty crazy. And the Cubs are looking more and more likely to, you know, catch the Pirates as well. If not, you know, get really close to the Cards. The Cubs are really hot. They're swinging the bats really well. Uh, they scored eight runs, eight and nine runs, respectively, in the first two games and against the Cards staff. This year hasn't been easy at all to score runs, so that's pretty impressive. And then today they just lost thanks to a big inning in the eighth. Uh, Piscotty came through, and, and and the Cardinals took the game today. You know the rubber match, but to be quite honest, it it was it was it's been an impressive week in the NL Central, and and that race is just heating up. I mean, the Cards look strong. If if their pitching was the biggest issue, and if it can continue that the streak it's been on all season, and it was unlikely because the numbers are just like godly and and surreal. But it looks like it's catching up to them, and now and and I don't know if they're going to be able to rebound and keep it up for the rest of the year. They might win the central, but going into the playoffs, this is a bad time to start, uh, you know, sputtering. Yeah, momentum is so big going into the playoffs too. I mean, I can go back to that Rockies team in 2007 that won 21 out of their last 22 and made a charge to the World Series. Uh, a, 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 the Cardinals in, eight, in 06, who you know, caught the Astros after being below 500 for most of the second half, finished 83 and 79, but then also just go on a really hot run to the World Series. Momentum going into the playoffs is so big. You really need to be feeling good about yourself. There are some teams in recent history where they've been unchallenged for an entire season. I think the one that kind of comes to mind most in that case is the 98 Mariners who won 114 games and went up against the Yankee team that was, you know, it was in the middle of that, that great Yankee dynasty. And I don't want to take anything away from them, but that was that Yankee team wasn't the best team in baseball that year. They just were the hottest team in baseball going into the playoffs and took down Seattle, 
faced an overmatched San Diego team and just absolutely annihilated them. But another question, just did you see that Chris Bryant home run over the weekend? Oh, my God, bro. There have been some mammoth blasts this weekend. It's been insane. The power that these kids have is is, is it's just incredible, man. Yeah, I mean, 498 feet. That's that's longer than some of the home runs hit in the Derby, and the Derby is basically slow-pitch softball. Yeah, man. No, it's insane. It's insane to see, you know, the bat speed that these kids have and to be able to turn these fastballs around. and the, It's just crazy, bro. These these kids are really talented, and it's, it's getting – it's you know, we used to see a lot of this in, like, the late 90s. McGuire, uh, Sosa used to hit home runs, and, you know, that's been tainted and stuff and bonds and all that, and – I think there was a little bit of a, a lull in power, and we're starting to see a resurgence in power with some of these young kids, and it's really exciting to see, man. It is, but then you have the flip side where you have, and it goes back to the entire why uh, the Dark Knight might be getting shut down. It's uh, You're also seeing all these power arms, too. Just it seems It just seems that the game is being played with a lot more strength nowadays. It uh, would be nice to talk to Simon Brundish about just – how these kids are now being trained one sport only for baseball and how much of it's actually ruining them. But that's for another later show. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to get them on here and talk about that. There's a few questions we, we really need to get uh, answers to and I'm, and no one better that we know than sign. So that'd be great. Yeah. So going on to uh, the battle of Los Angeles or Orange County, how, how did that go for you? It's been great for us, man. I mean, we're going out there. We're taking care of business. We're winning games. I mean, it helps when you have Granky and then Kershaw going out there for you. And tonight we have, or we had Matt Latos. He just got scratched, so I'm not sure who's starting in, in the third match. But uh, I'm confident that we'll win. Uh, the Angels looked really gassed. Uh, we're starting to pick it up a little. I don't know. I can't make up my mind whether I'm really confident in our team or, if, you know, I'm, it's a shaky. The bullpen doesn't really instill a lot of confidence in me. I'm sure it doesn't instill fear in other teams. Uh, our hitting has been on and off. It, it's one of those things. Are we healthy? We're not that healthy. Puig's out. Uh, Peterson has to play due to Kike uh, Hernandez being out, and he's been a big piece for us this year. Peterson, though, I like that he's playing because he's starting to pick it up a little, and he's starting to swing the bat a little bit more, and I want him to work through this funk. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are going on with the Dodgers, but the, my one concern is the bullpen. I don't know if that bullpen's going to be solid enough in, in, in October, and bullpen we've seen in past years has been big pieces to uh, success late into the postseason. Yeah, and another thing just on the Angels' perspective, I know I've said in the past that Mike Trout looks like he's slowing down a little bit, but his power outage right now is just absolutely killing that team. I think it's, I think at one point in the middle of last week, he was at 27 games without a home run, which for him is just, that's far too long. That's a, that's a big bat in your lineup. He's, I mean, he's your best player. and He's probably the best player in baseball. And with him having that kind of power outage, I don't see how they win games. Yeah, man. I mean, the Angels are a team that, that ride him and Pujols, and they're only going to go as far as him and Pujols can take him. And once one of them goes into one of these funks, or whether he's dealing with an injury or something like that, it, it, it really does affect these kinds of teams. And although baseball is a game that one man doesn't make that huge of a difference, I think for the Angels, Mike Trout, like you said, best player in baseball, he's going to make a huge impact when he's missing and not performing to the best visibilities to any team, really. Yeah. So now let's go on to that uh, that big series in the Bronx. Your pitchers for that series: Marcos Estrada versus Ivan Nova in the opener, making his season debut. Marcus Stroman versus Miguel Pineda, and 
R.A. Dickey going against Mashihiro Tanaka in a game of the two funkiest pitchers in baseball. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be fun to watch. Not good to hit against, but fun to watch. Yeah, what, what do you fear more, the uh, the hard splitter in the dirt or the knuckleball? Oh, knuckleball, man. As a former catcher, the knuckleball's a pain in the ass to both catch and hit. I'll tell you that much. I think it's a pain in the ass to probably pitch, too. I mean, you don't know where it's going to go. I mean, Dickey has been killed early in seasons lately just by having to pitch in a temperature-controlled environment where there's no wind to even carry that ball. Yeah. Once they open the roof there, it gets a little better for him. Yeah, exactly. We've seen that. He's, he's, he's come around as of late as the months of heat up, for sure. Yeah, so both these teams can hit. We know they both hit. But looking at those pitching uh, matchups, who are you giving the edge to? Uh, I got to go Blue Jays. And then it's not so much the pitching matchups. I mean, Dickey's going to be solid. Uh, Stroman, I'm really excited to see. That's a kid who has a lot of talent, a lot of upside, and I really want to see that rotation. And this will be good, especially going into the postseason and see what they have there. I mean, I don't know if they really have a solid uh, four-man rotation or really a solid three, but if he can give good outings, he can either be a really big part of that bullpen or get in the rotation for the postseason. Uh, I like the Blue Jays. Their power is just crazy. Like you said, both teams can hit, but Teixeira has been out. I don't know if he's going to be coming back anytime soon. Uh, Donaldson is MVP quality. Edwin Encarnacion, Batista, you know, even players like Ben Revere are playing out of their mind. Like, they're just on fire. I think the one concern I have for them is that Russell Martin is beginning to slow down and he's beginning to play less and less as the season goes on. Whether that's them saving him for the playoffs or he's injured, I'm not too sure. But he has been slowing down. We see it in his batting average. We've seen it over the last like month, month and a half. It's wearing on him. Uh, I, I don't think them not having a solid backup helps. I mean, Deanna Navarro has been injured a lot. And when he's out, then Russell Martin has to pick up even more of the slack. So that's something that I'm concerned about there. What are your thoughts on the Yanks and, and, and the Jays, man? Well, I, I think that the Jays are going to take the series just because Nova has been exceedingly hittable. Strata has been okay. Stroman and Pineda, it's the whole – Stroman, you don't know what you're going to get out of him, and Pineda is, has been just absolutely awful for the second half of the season. And then R.A. Dickey has been the hottest pitcher in the AL since the All-Star break. I think he's 7-0, and coming off of a complete game shutout, pitching in a stadium where he has had success before. I just I think most things come down to pitching, and I think in this series, you know, pitching being relative as to can you keep the under other team under five, I think that the Jays can do that. I don't think that the Yanks will. Now, if the if the Yanks can get two quality starts with the way their pen works, totally different ball game because their back end of their pen is frightening. But they have to get it there. Exactly, that's a huge factor. Exactly, if they can get the ball into the seventh, eighth, ninth, you know, then. That's going to be good for the, the Yanks. They're back into that bullpen is incredibly solid, one of the best in baseball. And like you said, that's going to play dividends for them. And uh, I I don't know. I, I'm just like you. I'm confident the Jays have enough and, and cement it. And it's so much to play for. And they've waited so long to have a contender like this. They've spent a lot of money in recent years, but haven't quite achieved what they've needed to achieve. And this season, they're finally, you know, it's culminating in this great year. And I think that they're going to carry that momentum forward and, 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 you know, separate themselves. I have to. I have to agree with that. So going back to the AL wild card, Texas hot, Minnesota hot, LA won't die. Player I want to focus on in this is Miguel Sano. Read a stat the other. Read a stat recently. At 22, he joins a club with Frank Thomas, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Cabrera, and Albert Pujols as one of the only five players 
with an OPS of 950 or greater. This guy's this guy's a monster. He I can see him legitimately just single-handedly carrying that team to the wild card. I think if they get there, they're an easy out because I don't see who they're going to throw up against anybody to pitch a, an elimination game and win. But considering the fact that that was an odds-on last place pick for the, at the beginning of the season for in the AL Central, that in and of itself is just a huge season for them that gives them a lot to build off of. Yeah, man, they've been incredibly impressive, especially as of late. And Sano is just a monster, like you said, the power he has. And and it's it was always a matter of just making sure that when he came up, he was going to get enough at-bats and he was going to, you know, be able to be comfortable. And they, they, they just timed that perfectly. He's come up. He's not missed a beat. Another player that's been incredibly good for them is Escobar, their shortstop. And he's somebody that came out of nowhere for me, too. I, you know, I believe he's a converted pitcher, and now he's, he's, he's making it happen at shortstop. That's fantastic. Like you said, though, if they make it into the wild card playoff against the Yanks, who are they really going to throw? And, and I, you know, like you said, the Angels won't die, but I, I really don't think the Angels are going to have enough, especially with if Trout continues to struggle and, and, and Pujols doesn't, you know, really pick up that slack. I, I do do like Texas. I think Texas still has enough time to pull away, but you know, my favorite would be Texas, uh, uh, but I'm really rooting for Minnesota. Yeah, as am I. I find it impossible not to. Plus, the people are nicer, nicer in Minnesota than most other places in the country, so I can, uh, I can, I can live with that. Uh, so, going to where we thought Minnesota would finish, a bunch of teams we haven't really spoken about because some of these teams that we've covered are earlier. We've spoken about quite a bit. Granted, it is you know September, and we're going into serious postseason races. What's the worst team in baseball? Ah, oh, man, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of good candidates for that, or bad candidates, I suppose. Uh, the Rockies, they, they don't pitch. They never have. They may never will. But they do have some bright spots. Cargo's really turned it on this season, especially in the second half. 675 slugging percentage for Cargo since the All-Star break. Yeah, man, like 30, 32, 33 homers since then as well. It's something ridiculous like that. And, and uh, Arenado's probably the best third baseman. Him and Manny Machado could duke it out there for best third baseman in the game. Uh, so they do have some pieces. You know, Atlanta's really bad. I don't. I'm gonna Atlanta's the front runner for worst team for me because honestly they don't have much. If they're relying on Freddie Freeman, um, Simmons is good. Uh, outside of that, I don't see much talent. I don't see them really coming around anytime soon either. They don't have a lot of young pieces. You, at least with with like the Rockies, you you know they have some some core pieces. Whether they can deal them or, or they build around them, you know it's just a matter of pitching, and that's always going to be a problem there. Philadelphia picked up a lot of good pieces recently in their in their trade with Hamels and Utley and stuff like that. So they picked up some pieces. So you could see the direction they're going. Uh, they're pretty bad. Don't get me wrong, but at least you could see a direction. Cincinnati has Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips. How much longer? I'm not sure. I think this might be the off season that they ship Joey Votto. They need a lot of pieces. And, and the year Joey Votto's uh, having this year, especially in the second half, hitting over 400, they're not going to have better value than that in this season. So this might be the end of Joey Votto in Cincinnati. I wouldn't be shocked. And uh, Miami's Miami, man. So you know that they're going to be bad. So I'm going to say Atlanta right now because I don't really see their direction. I mean, what are your thoughts on these five teams? And, and maybe you have more candidates. Well, the three, those five teams actually, I think, are the worst five teams in baseball. I was just, if you look record wise, the American League, it's a, it's a lot tighter. The National League has your haves and your have nots, to, to use a, a Marxist phrase. But Colorado, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, if you actually look at their logos in the standings where, where they sit right now, you get a direct line that says crap 
which is kind of amazing. Because, <laughs> you know, you got the CR in the Colorado, in the Colorado logo. The Braves just have that big A, and obviously the Phillies just have that big P. They're bunched at the bottom, and it actually just says crap. That's hilarious. But I'm going to go with Atlanta. They've, they've won, I think, something like twice since August 17th, which is just remarkably bad. I mean, the Nationals looked like they were going to make a run on the Mets because of the fact that they were playing Atlanta for four games, and it just that's a terrible, terrible baseball team. One fun stat with them. Shelby Miller, since the beginning of May, has 11, 11 losses and seven no decisions. His ERA in that time is under three. Oh, man, how frustrated must he be every time he takes the ball? He's probably just sitting there wondering, like, why did I have to get traded from the cards to this? To this, But, oh, poor, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to say poor guy about Atlanta because of the fact that they tortured me for <laughs> a large portion of my, my childhood and teenage years. But I feel for them. I feel for all seven people showing up to Braves games. Uh, I, feel, I feel for them. <laughs> also glad that the Mets played them this weekend. Yeah, yeah, you should be glad because it looks like you guys can go in there, take care of business, and continue to uh, gain a little bit of ground there. Now, it looked like the Phillies, though, were going to really contend for one of the worst teams ever until they made those moves and until they until Sandberg left because they were on pace at the beginning of the season for, I think, a record low run differential. The record run differential, I think, is in the negative 330s. They were on pace for about negative 370, but they picked it up a bit. And they were the first team eliminated from the playoffs, but that's just because of how truly atrocious their start of the season was. Yeah, and right now they don't have any, you know, solid starters. Most of their st- – well, not solid. They're talented, but they're all young. They're not proven. They're not established, and that's something that's never going to be successful. You know, they're just throwing them out there, getting big league experience. In the future, this is going to be great for them, but right now it, it's a no-win situation. And then Cincinnati, I agree with you. They're going to have to just – they, they got to they gotta start over. Vado, the one thing that makes him an intriguing trade target is the fact that he's – got an absolutely massive contract so it's a question so it limits who can get him and it limits realistically it, it actually kind of maybe diminishes the haul you can get for him just because of how much money you have to absorb because Cincinnati's a small market team so they're not gonna they're not gonna meet that contract I think it was when he signed it three or four years ago 10 at 250 so 25 million a year is is a lot it's it's a lot for any team to take on so the trade targets there are really limited to big market teams. And I'm just trying to think about which ones could use a first baseman. Well, I mean, the Red Sox are always in contention for that. They can always use somebody they traded for Mike Napoli at the deadline to, to, to add a little pop there. And I think that could be a good fit. Uh, whether they want to give up some of their young pieces, I'm not too sure. It's one of those things. But they do have a deep farm system. And we know that uh, Dombrowski does like to use those pieces to improve his, his, his uh, major league club. So that's a possibility. I mean, what do you think? I, I think I wonder if Matt Harvey likes chili. <laughs> Oh man! Well, hopefully, hopefully, because that'll that'll improve your ball club tremendously, man. Yeah, he's a he's a great player. So Armando and I got to talking this week, and I'm going to introduce something that him and I thought of because we've been you know couldn't line up our guests for this week, so you're stuck with the two of us. But we're gonna do um we're gonna do our all time teams. Now, when I say all time teams, I mean in his and I's collective life as baseball fans. Armando is a close to 30-year-old man, and I'm 33, so our lifetime spans are very close. The way in which we did this is you have your eight position players, a three-man bench, and a closer. 
So, Armando, let's maybe start with our catchers. Where did you go? I went. Okay, well, I, like like you guys have heard in previous shows, I, I'm I, I I was a catcher, so this was really particular for me. I um really paid a lot of attention to defense, so I went with there was candidates. Mike Piazza was there, but you know his defense was shoddy. You know, I was more in consideration of players like Mike Matheny. Even like that was something that caught my eye. But I really went with Yvonne Rodriguez. Pudge was a 14-time All Star, won the AL MVP in '99, uh, NLCS MVP for the Marlins in '03. Uh, 13-time Gold Glover, seven-time Silver Slugger. Uh, Pudge Rodriguez really was the total package, and and I think uh, that's the catcher in my lifetime that I can say confidently is the best catcher I've seen. That's that's a that's a very good call. I considered him, but being the rampant homer I am, I went with the man you mentioned, Mike Piazza. 16 seasons, 427 home runs, most as a catcher, 1335 RBI. Uh, and a 308, 377, 922 slash. His average season was 36, 113. I, I have a lot. Of, I, I understand all the defensive limitations in his game. I watched him every single day. He couldn't throw a runner out. He's underrated at blocking the plate because he did that pretty well. But that's you know the bare requirement of a defensive catcher. Yeah, and you know as a former as a former Dodger, I got to see you know a lot of him in his youth, and he was always great to watch. And I mean, his career panned out really good for somebody that was drafted as a favorite of Tommy Lasorda. Yeah, he was a 62nd round draft pick, which I didn't even know the base the, the draft went that long. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably shouldn't to be quite honest. So he lucked out there. Can you imagine, like, what a GM must do during the 60-second round of a draft? Is, like, is he just consuming many different forms of stimulant just to stay awake? He has to be, or he's just letting, like, you know, his his kids pick. <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah, it's, it's just like the, the last pick of your fantasy draft where you know the guy's hitting the waiver wire in a week. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, but going to first base, I'll, I'll go first this time. I went with the big hurt. Ooh. Kurt. Career 521 home runs, 1,704 RBIs, a 301, 419, 974 slash number, 36, 119 average season, and a Hall of Famer. Absolutely, man. And did it all swinging off that front leg. That back leg came up every time. So where did, where did you go in this one? I, I had to go with Albert Pujols, man. Uh, 10-time All-Star, batting title, uh, home run titles, two gold gloves, over 2,600 hits, 550 home runs. Uh, he's done it since he's come up to the bigs. Like, Albert Pujols has always been solid, and, and it's on both sides, of the, uh, you know, offensively and defensively. He's won World Series. He's proven it time and again. I don't think I can ever think of maybe like last year and the maybe the year before Albert Pujols having a bad season, to be honest. Yeah, the one. So I consider pool holes as well. And there, there's another guy who made my bench, who I'm not going to name yet, uh, because I, I will go ahead and say now I have pool holes on my bench because it's hard for me to overlook his just ridiculous career. But it's the fact that he played so many other positions in, early in his career. And you know, granted, he's been a first baseman for a while now, but he's also been a DH for a bit in Los Angeles and. I, I also just love the Big Hurt because of the fact that his nickname is the Big yeah, Hurt. Yeah, for sure. My honorable mention, though, it was really close between uh, Pujols and, and Jeff Bagwell, to be honest. Ooh, Bagwell. There's an interesting pick who I who I thought about today, but I, I, just, I just couldn't pull the trigger That on batting sense alone was worth mentioning him today. Such a weird crouch. All right, to the Keystone. Where, where'd you go at second? 
Oh, man. I went with a former Met. I know he wasn't too good for the Mets, but I went with Robbie Alomar, man. 12-time All-Star, two World Series, 10 Gold Gloves, Silver Sluggers, uh, 2,700 hits, 300 career average. The dude was probably, especially when I got to see a lot of his career in, in Cleveland, was the smoothest second baseman I had ever seen making defensive plays him and Omar Vizquel were such a treat to watch back in those days and and his bat in those days was amazing he was hitting 320 regularly he had enough pop he was just the all-around package uh until he went to the Mets yeah until he went to the Mets now that said I wanted to hold that against him but you and I are in agreement on this one I went with Alomar as well and one other thing that you didn't mention was his ability to steal bases 474 of them in his career over 17 seasons Average season, 14-77 and 32 steals. Uh, the guy was just an absolutely great player, although absolutely terrible person. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we're, good thing we're going on, on stats and on the field stuff. Yeah, I mean, just the, uh, I, the one of the lasting images I'll always have of him is him spinning in an umpire's face. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And, and that was an ugly, you know, and that that's actually... A, what he's remembered for a lot and a lot of people don't let that you know go and rightfully so they shouldn't it's really a despicable act but on the field and when he was at cleveland playing that position he was really really good uh who did you have as number two at second base biggio oh we are exactly the same yeah biggio was such a great second baseman and the fact is biggio was just an incredible fielder he was great at catcher although they moved him away from there because you don't want your best player and a guy who you want in your lineup every day catching it's it, first off, catcher. Realistically, you're only going to play 130 to 135 games of the year because very few catchers. And this is even going back to a long time ago. Played a day game after a night game. Yeah, for sure, man. So, yeah, that was a good that that's a good shout. And and and, and great minds, great minds. So at shortstop, I think we're both going to probably be in agreement here. I mean, I'll be shocked just because of the fact that as much as I want to dislike him because of his obnoxious personality to me i mean granted he's actually a classy guy uh derek jeter derek jeter didn't make my team Ooh, i'll let you go ahead and rant and rave about derek jeter for a second though begrudgingly Uh, i would love to hear this go ahead jeter jeter was the was the captain and most consistent player on a five-time world champion made an you know an incredible clutch hitter in the postseason Career career uh, 310 hitter, 927 OPS, 260, 260 homers, stole, 300, stole 358 bases, could legitimately do anything you wanted him to on a field. Now, look, a lot of it is he played with superior talent in his career, and he played in a park that was very conducive to his particular style of hitting because Yankee Stadium is a great place to go. The other, It's a great place to hit the ball into the alleys because of the way it was constructed as to short down the lines and deep into the alleys and right and left center. But he took perfect advantage of that. Now, the one knock on him always is going to be his defense because it wasn't particularly great, and shortstop is a very important defensive position. Some people will point to the fact that he didn't make errors, and that's true. He didn't. He just had no range. Right, exactly. So I'm guessing you went with Vizquel. No, I didn't either. I went with Barry Larkin. Oh, good pick. Some of my earliest baseball memories was watching the uh, the Dodgers, and then early in early to mid nineties, and they had some playoff series against uh, the Reds, and I remember watching those and and being just so impressed by the way Barry Larkin played the game. So smooth, just natural. He can hit. He was confident. You could tell he led that team, and and Barry Larkin always st- struck me as somebody that. Uh, 
just was the total package as a baseball player, and, and that's why for me he has to stand out as a as as my shortstop for for my all time lifetime team because uh, although Derek Jeter is you know his numbers are probably better and his career is probably longer and he has more credentials or whatever you want to me he didn't captivate me the way Barry Larkin did. Understandable. Plus, I mean, it's also part of the media market I live in. Jeter's everywhere. Um, if you're from New York, you would know the fact that Derek Jeter has an edge because <laughs> even during Met games, they play a Ford commercial uh, where Derek Jeter is selling a Ford Edge. If Derek if Derek Jeter drives a Ford Edge, first off, I'm going to be extremely shocked. <laughs> well, yeah, you think Blake Griffin drives a Kia? I think he just jumps over one. Yeah, well, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Blake Griffin just has one sitting on his basketball court at home. Be like, look, how can I jump over this car today? Yeah, no kidding, dude. All Open right. the sunroof. <laughs> All right, man. Let's move on to, to the hot corner. What do you got for me? Rank homerism? Oh, man. Let me hear it. David Wright. <laughs> Go That's ahead, seri- go ahead. In all seriousness, David Wright is a great player whose, inju- whose career has been blighted by injuries. But through the first five years of ca- his career, he joined only Albert Pujols as players in the first five years of their career to hit over 25 homers, 25 doubles, hit 300 and drive, 100 runs in each of those years. He had a 30-30 year in 2007. Uh, his career average season is 25, 120 steals. He has an amazing eye at the plate. He's a 300 hitter, or 299 coming into play today. But the guy, the guy is a great player, and he's won several gold gloves. Uh, plus, I'm a homer. The other guy I was considering as far as players in my lifetime that I really got to see was Adrian Beltre. But I, I just, you know, it's, it, when, it, when it's a question of me picking homerism versus uh, my head, I go with homerism. I don't blame you, man. And actually, David Wright was close for me, and then uh... – Adrian Beltre was also in discussion, but I went with an old-timer. I went with Cal Ripken. I didn't really get to see much of him at shortstop at third base. I got to see a lot of him. And, uh, you know, 2,632 games, whether it was all at that position or not, it's remarkable. Over 3,000 hits, 430 home runs. I remember his last... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
19 All-Star appearances. I remember his last All-Star game to him taking Chan Ho Park deep. And that's just something that's just stuck with me, you know. And, and Cal Ripken's such a good baseball man and such a good baseball mind and so, so important to the game. And that's just a record that's never going to be broken. And it's fitting that you also bring that up on the, well, plus three-day anniversary of game 2131. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was earlier this week. That was that was on Sunday. That was, I think, what, the that was the 19th anniversary or 20th? I want to say 20th. I want to say 20th. Yeah, because it would seem like, yeah, because he came into the league in 83. So you'd figure 12 years is probably about 12 years. Or 12. Yeah, it's probably about that. Yeah, man. And uh, he was always, you know, reliable. You knew what you were going to get out of him. The only thing you didn't know was what his batting stance was going to look like. Oh, yeah. Plus, also, you do have one of the greater urban legends of baseball around him, the uh, the Kevin Costner story. Have you ever heard that one? No, I'm not sure. So there's a, there's an urban legend that Cal Ripken Jr. caught his wife having an affair with Kevin Costner and just beat the ever-loving piss out of Kevin Costner. Well, I don't know if I want that to be true or not, but I kind of do. It would be kind of it. would be funny at the very least. <laughs> yeah. I'll show you a field of dreams. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> oh, man. So going into the outfield, I actually went position right, center, and left with this one because I do think that with right field, you have to take defense and arm into account. With center, you have to take range. And in left, you you just stick someone who can hit. Yeah, I kind of went two centers and a right, to be honest. But okay. go, go ahead. Let me get your left fielder. Barry Lamar Bonds. I hate you. I, it's, it was tough because of the fact like every part, every fiber of my soul – Wanted not to include him, but 762 home runs, 1,996 RBIs, 514 steals, a career slash of 298, 444, and a, a plus 1,000 OPS, 1,051, seven MVP awards, four seasons of an above 500 on base percentage, including one where he, hit, where he was above 600. Now, granted, obviously, these are the most chemically induced years in history. Yeah, he also gained five, five hat sizes. Have you seen him recently? No. And he is no. he is tiny. Well, yeah, but his head's big still, right? It's like a bobblehead. No, it's, it, that shrunk too. No. It's no longer the it's no longer the size of like a watermelon. Now it's just the size of like a cantaloupe. I just picture him. You remember the Simpsons where uh, Ken Griffey Jr. was sipping that tonic? Oh and yeah. Then his head got yeah. That's all I picture Barry Bonds now. Yeah, but the other things I had written down on my sheet of paper are he's the all-time major league leader in walks. And then the two lines I have of editorial comment here are numbers are video game numbers and biggest asshole to ever play baseball. Both are true. Yeah. Very factual. Yeah. So who, okay. who, did, so who, who did you have as your first outfielder? My first outfielder, uh, we'll stick him in left, was Jim Edmonds. Um, I'll always remember Jim Edmonds, especially when he was in, in Anaheim, California, uh, back here off the 5 freeway. And uh, he, he – he made a, an incredible play at Kauffman Stadium over diving backwards, reaching for a ball that was, you know, up there with the Willie Mays type catch. And that just plays over and over, you know, for me. And I, I, I enjoyed him in St. Louis. I enjoyed his career. I got to see a lot of Jim Edmonds. And I think he was very underrated uh, throughout his career. He had 393 homers, four-time All-Star, eight gold gloves. And, and he was also injured a lot. So I think that uh, his numbers are skewed by that. So I went with Jim Edmonds, man. I'm intrigued to see who you have in center if you've stuck a player of Jim Edmonds' defensive ability in left. Uh, Jim Edmonds is one of the best defensive center fielders I've ever seen. Yeah, I, 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 threw, I, I threw Griffey in center. So did I. 
because he's the kid. I remember the first one, Interleague was a big deal, man. My, my, my mom taking me to Dodger Stadium and me going and watching, uh, you know, young A-Rod and, and, and Griffey and, and Mark Gruzelanek hitting a, a shot that sh- would have gone out. Griffey scaling the wall and s- robbing that home run. Dude, for me, Ken Griffey Jr., my favorite player of all time. He's one, he, my, my favorite player I've ever seen is actually my right fielder. But just one point on Griffey before I go to the, whoever is in right field. Griffey hit 630 home runs as a guy who definitely was not juicing. Or I can't say definitely, but I would say in all likelihood was not. And no. had he not had that just blight of injuries the second he went to Cincinnati, would have would have overtaken all, all the home run records. Absolutely. 13-time All-Star. He won an MVP. He won 10 gold gloves. He was the four-time home run leader. He, he had a 285 career average, and that was due to injury. If he had his legs and stuff deep into his career, there's no way he hits under 300. Ken Griffey Jr., most talented player I've ever seen. Well, maybe Mike Trout now, but we'll see what, what's ha- what happens there. Well, that's the thing with Bonds, and this is, the whole, this is part of the argument that I would – want to just go back to for a second that guy never does steroids if you look at him before 2000 before he just got jealous of all the guys hitting the long ball he was a lock for a 30 30 season put him in the hall put him in the the hall hall of fame before before he first ballot first ballot absolutely and that's from my mouth absolutely yeah but biggest asshole ever played the game for sure yeah so my right fielder though my the player who i think is my favorite player at least my favorite player of my lifetime played in the market that i don't watch a ton of, but watch this guy. Ichiro Suzuki. Wow. Sleeper pick of the night. Ichiro has 10 200-plus hit seasons. He's led the majors in hits seven times, including the single-season record that he broke that was held by George Sisler, which was hit in the 1920s, when people actually still would just try to slap the ball around. He's played, he didn't get into the majors until the age of, until the age of 27. He has 2,900-plus hits. If he had played in the majors from about the age of 22 or 23, we're talking about a guy who could be the all-time major league leader in hits. Yeah, did he just pass like 4,000 hits with his career in Japan or something like that? Some crazy statistic? like Yeah, the guy, the guy could just – he could just flat-out rake. Underrated power, 113 home runs for a, for a leadoff hitter. Yeah, and you hear the stories that in batting practice he could do whatever he wants. That he, you know, that he he had a lot of power if he wanted to do that, but that wasn't his game. At least you know, in in as far as his leadoff role and stuff like that. But you hear in batting practice and all the guys in interviews say that he could have taken you know yanked it down the line whenever he wanted. Yeah, and almost five hundred steals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. And a cannon and right. Oh yeah, the most impressive is his arm, especially at that size to to just be able to put that much power into a throw and and it yeah he he was an amazing player especially in his prime yeah so who who did you have as your your other outfielder you're you're right Larry Walker great player Larry Walker 313 average five-time all-star he won an MVP he won like seven gold gloves three batting titles whether it was in Montreal in Colorado or in St. Louis Larry Walker was the man yeah, and he wasn't, a, and he wasn't a Coors Field product. I mean, that's the thing. If you actually do look at the numbers, because I was, I was looking at his stats today too, because I am a big Larry Walker fan. Uh, also, probably the single greatest Canadian never played the game. Yeah, that's arguable, but yes. But he, he was just an absolutely phenomenal player. Um, shocked that he doesn't get more Hall of Fame consideration. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Like, and and he always played the game right. He, you never had a lot of controversy with Larry Walker, and and. Uh, yeah, he was he was never the main guy, but he was always uh, the, 
a big piece of making his teams tick and, and be competitive, especially when he made it down to St. Louis. So let's let's go to our benches. As we know, I chose Pujols there. So there's one of my three out of the bag. Who's your first bench guy? Piazza. Okay, fair. I, I, I can't disagree with Mike Piazza. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went with Vlad Guerrero as one of my bench players. The um, best bad ball hitter ever. From head to toe, outside, inside, it didn't matter. No batting gloves. Vlad Guerrero was the man. Uh, when he came out here to Anaheim, I got to see him quite a bit, and it was enjoyable for me to watch him. Uh, when he was in Montreal, though, was probably some of the funnest baseball I'd, I've seen for a while. He had a great arm. He can rake. He, 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 he just had fun playing the game, and, and it just makes me realize how much I miss the Expos, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I prefer seeing the Expos than the Nats, but that's just me. But um, the other thing that kind of killed, killed him a little bit was just the level of obscurity that he played in at Montreal. Towards the end of the Expos' reign, they were, you know, Olympic Stadium could fit around 57,000 people. They were drawing crowds of 5,000. Yeah, it was like little league crowds. It was really, it was really must have been a very depressing place to play. Um, I do love the fact that for the fact that for the fact that he was in Major League Baseball for as long as he did, and just chose to never learn how to speak English. I, I admire that. <laughs> There's no need when they pay for translators. Man. Exactly. Why you know it's all there for me. It's okay, and not to mention that you get bothered less by media. Eventually, they get the point that you don't yeah. want to talk. And I want to make it very, very clear. I'm, I'm not a, an American who believes that there should be a single national language. I actually believe that more Americans should learn Spanish because of the fact that there are a lot of Spanish-speaking people in this country. So maybe, and this is this is me making a short point that Americans should embrace embrace other cultures. Can't argue with that. Yeah. So going to my second bench guy, a man who loved the a man who loved speaking in the third person, Mr. Ricky Henderson. Oh man, Ricky! I love Ricky. Good, uh, good for Ricky. I'm glad he made your list. He didn't make mine, but damn, he should have. All-time leader in stolen bases and runs. The single greatest interview ever because he actually, at some point, just turned his talking into the third person into a, into a joke. Ricky Henderson came out and stole four bases today because that's what Ricky Henderson does. Yeah, his interviews were just as good as his like lead-off home runs or his stolen bases or any of it. He was so good on the mic. 2,295 runs. Yeah, he was like a professional wrestler on the mic. It was great. Yeah. And then, so who's your, who's your uh, second bench guy? Guerrero and Piazza, but my last oh, yeah. guy. Uh, third one, sorry. My last guy is, uh, you're going to hate this, but it's Larry Jones Jr. Chipper. Chipper Jones, my man. You know, I don't, I don't hate Chipper. I have a begrudging respect for him, and I found that he made the Mets-Braves uh, rivalry significantly more interesting. Also, when I look at it in the specter of the existence of John Rocker, who is a man that I would not piss on if he was on fire. <laughs> Fair enough, man. I think a lot of people feel that way, uh, especially Mets fans probably. But yeah. yeah, man, Chipper was probably the best switch hitter I've ever seen, uh, power-wise especially. He played third base MVP caliber, gold glove caliber. When the Braves needed him to move to left, he moved to left. He was a team player. He was that organization, the heart and soul. And, and the reason they were so successful other than, you know, Maddox and then Glavin and them. But if it wasn't for the heart on the on the field and the everyday player that was Chipper Jones, I don't think they're as successful as they were. Yeah, so a, a Chipper Jones story for one of two. Back at the old Shea Stadium, which Chipper owned and has a son named Shea. Which is hilarious. It depends on your perspective on life. But uh, I was with a, a group of uh, other Met fans taunting Chipper on deck. 
Some of us might have been inebriated, self-included in that. <laughs> and we were, it was the first inning of a game. There were two on. We were all giving Chipper shit because that's what New Yorkers do to Chipper Jones. He just stares us down, tells us, look what I'm going to do to your pitcher, comes up, hits a three-run homer, stares us all down, trotting down the third baseline as we all just sit with our head in our hands. Oh, man, that is fucking great. Great. So my third guy on the bench, 612 homers, Jim Tomey. I can't argue with big Jim Tomey, man, especially in his days in Cleveland. I love that guy. Love that guy. Yeah, he he had some great years in Philadelphia, too. Multiple 50 home run seasons, built like a lumberjack, and absolutely just crushed the ball. And no one ever, you know, accused him of anything. One of the nicest guys in the league, you know, charitable guy. He, you know, Jim Toby is spoken of with the utmost respect, and, and he was a great ball player and underrated defensively too, especially when he was younger. He was he, he was he could get around there down there first base. Yeah, and you know, don't have to go down Justin Wells' story time again because this is not my story, but it's a friend of mine. A friend of mine, once again, liquor may or may not have been involved in this, was at Fenway when it was a Red Sox-Indians game. And he, just individually, is getting on Tommy, saying some things that are not fit for this podcast. Let's just say that they're (laughs) extraordinarily mean. Around the seventh inning, a woman turns to him and says, can you stop picking on Jim Tommy? I'm his wife, and this is his son. Oh. That's yeah, awful. it was. It, it, it's a story that he tells with like because this is a very mature guy at this point in his life. It's a story he tells with a "this is why you should behave yourself in public" type of perspective. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's a great story. Lesson learned, children. Lesson learned. You never know when Jim Tomey's wife's sitting behind you. Exactly. So let's let's go to our pitchers now. I have a feeling just because of how good some of the pitchers in the modern era have been that there's going to be some overlap in ours. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. All right. So who's your who's your who are you going with first? Who who are you putting on I, I actually tried to go with a one through five. Granted my five starter would be number one on pretty much every team yeah, in the I, course of the last twenty five or thirty years, but I, I did the same. I did the same. So who's your number one? Randy Johnson. That's my number two. Hands down, Randy Johnson was the most intimidating dude I've ever seen on the mound. You know, he killed a bird for God's sakes, Justin. It was a seagull. Yeah, well, that's that they is have a kind feelings. of bird. They have feelings too. It is a kind, of, but yeah, that that, that I I sometimes watch that on YouTube, and I'm just like, how the hell did that happen? But yeah, man, just his numbers, just the way you know, Randy Johnson was the last guy you wanted to face when you saw Randy Johnson was pitching, and and your team was playing Randy Johnson. You know, especially when he came down to Arizona, and for me and the Dodgers, we played him pretty often. It was like, oh shit, Randy Johnson, cool. It's gonna suck tonight. Yeah. So. For Five sure, just, yeah, there's no arguing with it, dude. The nastiest slider in the game back in the day, for sure. Who do you got as your race? Talk to me. Pedro Jaime Martinez. Ah, my number two. Ah. So we got a little bit of a disagreement about this. Just, And it's simply just because of the, uh, I think the peripheral numbers on Pedro, not the longevity, but are just slightly better. He's a 2.93 ERA versus Johnson's 3.29, pitch, where Johnson pitched most of his career in two pretty cavernous parks in uh Seattle at the Kingdom and then also in well Arizona's not cavernous. So maybe maybe I'll take that one, the cavernous part of Arizona back. But Pedro pitched in Fenway, which is a hitters park in the AL East in the steroid era. FIP actually below his ERA at two point nine one. That's incredible. Thirty one hundred strikeouts in twenty eight hundred innings. 
and that three Cy Young awards. And his 1999 season is one of the best seasons I've ever seen. 23 and four, 207 ERA, and 313 Ks in 213 innings. Oh man, yeah, no, it's hard to argue that, bro. But uh, I guess it's just personal preference at that point. Yeah, I also just have a thing for the for the small guys who are basically destroying their bodies. Yeah, yeah, he had no business doing all the things he was doing. It was those freakishly long fingers he had, man. Yeah, it was. I mean, on top of that, too, perfect command of the fastball, the best changeup I've ever seen, and a great curve. But if I had to face either one of those two guys in a big game, I'd be I'd be scared. Oh yeah, oh, you're not yeah, you're not sure. winning. No, you're not winning. Yo, you want to? Hopefully, he has a bad day, and you get him out in the sixth, and hopefully, you take your chances with the pen for sure. So what do you have? A, okay, go you, ahead. You go first with number three. I got I got Maddox, Greg Maddox. Um, what he did with the Braves and and with a, doing it without any uh, any really power pitching, it was just you know finesse, painting the corners, you know, deceiving the hitter, the movement on his pitches, convincing the umpire that the strike zone was three inches at more outside than it was. It was just incredible the way he manipulated that strike zone. And and uh, I remember coming home and I get to come home and, and because I'm on West Coast time, the Braves were playing early 4 p.m. for me. I'd get home and I'd put on TBS and I'd get to watch Maddox and, and Smoltz and, and these guys. And, and Greg Maddox, just his composure, the way – you wouldn't expect this dude that looks like your friend's dad to go out there and just dominate Mark McGuire with nothing but, like, 86 stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, no. So one of the things that I was uh, reading once comes from one of the better personalities in, in modern baseball, David Wells. When the, At the end of their career, when they were both pitching together on the Dodgers, David Wells referred to Greg Maddox as a secret scumbag. And he said that he would do things to Hayes rookies like walk up to them in the shower and pee on their legs. Oh, great. So that guy so that guy who looks like your dad doesn't act like your dad, unless your dad is a degenerate. He might be. He might. <laughs> My mind might be too. Oh. <laughs> so what'd you go with number three? Clayton Kershaw. Oh, he's four on mine. Clayton Kershaw's my number three. Three Cy Youngs, an MVP, one of the last pitchers to win an MVP. What, I mean, pitchers don't win MVPs particularly often. Uh, just light, heads and above just so much better than everybody else at the moment. I have to give a little bit of love for the modern game. And he's just, he's on such a roll right now that I don't see it. I mean, he, my dad told me that he reminds him of Sandy Koufax uh, down to the, 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 you know, the lefty with the power stuff and the breaking ball that you just can't touch. And if he wanted to beat you with just one pitch, he would. Yeah, you know, for me, Clay is... is... A treat to watch, man, and the fact that I get to watch him every fifth day out here and um, to watch the comparisons, they're often, Sandy's out there, and Sandy will tell you the same thing when you watch interviews with him, and Vince Scully will tell you, and, and you just hear the, the, the perspective of these people that have seen all this and been a part of it, and, and Clayton Kershaw is by far right now the most dominant pitcher in the game. The pitching era is, is returning, and then there's more power stuff and more great arms, and, and, and the power numbers in hitting are, you know, suspect up and down. But pitching is here to stay, and these players are really, you know, taking care of themselves. And Clayton Kershaw is just a freak, just absolutely probably the best pitcher of, of this era. And then, like you said, three Cy Youngs so far. One MVP so far. All of this is so far because it's likely there'll be more that more to come. I, I can't. I can't see how there won't be. And you know, and, and the other and the other good thing about seeing him is he got not he got paid, and I mean he got paid three hundred million bucks over t is a ton of money for anybody to get. 
I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I say that so cavalier. It's a ton of money for anybody to get, but he hasn't let that contract get into his head. He hasn't. He hasn't stopped working as hard. It's the type of guy you actually want to pay if you're running a, ba- a franchise. Yeah, man, and and he, him, and his wife actually have a foundation. They they set up schools in Africa. He goes down there in the off season. Clayton Kershaw is just an all around, you know, a Cy Young pitcher, but like MVP, like human being. It's it's ridiculous. He's the total package. He's what you want the face of your franchise to be. And we're really lucky in LA that that he's a Dodger. Yeah. So going on to my number four starter, the exact opposite of what you want your son to be, Doctor K, Dwight Gooden. Oh, I can't argue with that, especially you. Yeah, I want to hear this. Give it to me. So the end of Gooden's career, obviously very checkered by the fact that you know he was a drug addict. But if you look at the beginning of his career, it, it, he was on pace to be one of the best pitchers ever. Um, for, fastest pitcher in Major League history to 100 wins. His 85 season remains one of the best seasons in, in memory. 24-4, uh, 1-5-3 ERA, 253 strikeouts in 276 innings been on two world championship teams he's got a no hitter granted it was for the other new york team but uh just an absolute monster out there the one thing that people a lot of people don't know about him because he did pitch in the playoffs a few times dwight gooden does not have a single playoff win to his name that's incredible i wouldn't have guessed that either dude. yeah 86 pitched four games got two no decisions and lost two wow wow but was such a phenomenal pitcher plus also in the last few days, he's come out and criticized Matt Harvey on innings limits, which, considering the fact that Gooden's arm flamed out early, maybe Harvey shouldn't listen to him. But uh, yeah, it, it, this is this is a homerism pick. The guy was my the guy was my childhood hero, and it's uh, you know, also your first lesson in childhood disappointment. Yeah, but it's hard to argue with him, man, especially in his prime and in his youth. Like, you know, from what I hear and the the, the what I've seen is is he was really an incredible guy, you know, on the field. He was a great pitcher and, and a lot of talent. Unfortunately, it went the way it went, though. Yeah, and the one thing I will say is he's re-ingratiated himself to Met fans and he's been around the organization and he seems to have gotten his life back together, which is, which, most which is great, which is yeah. great. Yeah, that's what you want to see. Absolutely. Who'd you go with your five? Who's rounding off your rotation? Another man named Doc. Doc Halliday. Oh, we got the same guy as five. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Go ahead. Give it to me, man. Two Cy Youngs. 203 and 105, 338 ERA, 339 FIP. So, you know, it's basically not – because one thing about Halliday is his strikeout numbers aren't especially gaudy. 2,117 strikeouts in 2,749 innings. But he was pitching in the steroid era AL East, and he managed to be a very, very exceptional ground ball hitter, I mean, ground ball pitcher, used uh, and, and which is especially tough also in Toronto because of the way the ball bounces off of that AstroTurf. But just totally in control. Seemed to be an amazing, great game pitcher. I mean, I can remember when he finally pitched his first playoff game in Philadelphia. Goes out and throws a no-hitter. Absolutely incredible. Unforgettable moment, for sure. And also, once again, another guy who seems like a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Doc Holliday always seems to do the right thing and, and never keeps, keeps you know his name out of the papers for anything negative. And he always seems to, you know, just be reliable for, for his teams and his franchises. And it was good to see him... Uh, come to the Phillies and, and get into the playoffs and finally taste that kind of playoff atmosphere. So I, I was kind of happy for him when he came over and stuff. So before we get to closers, let's just let's think about a few other – who were who a few other pitchers you considered? Because there has been some great pitching in the last 30 years. I had a, I struggled with the pitchers more, obviously, because it's just five. Who were some other guys you thought of? I thought of Schilling, Cone, Kevin Brown, 
Uh, da, 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 da. And I think that that was my main three that I was battling with to get on this list, I think. Oh, Johan Santana was going to be on this list for me. Yeah, Santana was a guy I considered. It's just that the career numbers weren't so weren't so great because of the injuries that blighted him after he left Minnesota. Yeah, but probably uh, the best changeup I've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, but I, I considered him... I considered, even though the length of a time that he was truly great was shorter than most of these other guys, I considered Cliff Lee. That's not bad. And Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin I considered. Now, Glavin, I have a hard time giving any sort of credit because of the absolute devastation he dealt me one year. <laughs> Game uh one game one sixty two in the two thousand six in the two thousand seven season to you, just you take, to complete a collapse. I take you, it very personally. You take it also personally. It's, it's it, that's what life as a Met fan is. <laughs> Hopefully you don't hate me at the end of this season. That's all I'm saying. Man. I don't take it personally against fans of other teams. I take it personally against players who play for my own team. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, for sure, dude. Yeah. Oh. So, finally, the one thing that we – the last position we have is closer. Um, I mean, I don't see how there can be much of an argument. There is. You'll be surprised. You picked Trevor Hoffman, didn't you? I did because I'm an ass like that. And I saw him a lot in San Diego, and he was really good. He was also a great Also a great pitcher. changeup, big game pitcher. Uh, you know, and, and, yeah, I love Trevor Hoffman, man. I, again, nothing bad to say about Trevor Hoffman. So he was my pick. I knew you were going to go with Mariano because you love New York in that fashion. Well, I, I love New York, but you got to remember, I hate the Yankees. But I, it's just it's tough for me to, to go against Rivera. You know, I'm surprised you don't have Posada and Bernie Williams on this list. If I, w- I would have Bernie Williams on this list if we were talking about center fielders who play jazz guitar. He's really good. He is really good. <laughs> but... Now, I mean, Rivera, 952 games finished, which is a record, 652 saves at five world titles. Seems to just get better in the postseason. His lifetime postseason ERA is 0.7. And, you know, it's not due to a lack of appearances. There's 92 of them. So you're going 92 appearances with a 0.7 ERA. That's, that's just insane clutchness. With, with one pitch. One pitch. Throws a cutter. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that's also why he was a terrible starting pitcher, because he could only throw one pitch. Yeah, well. All you need is, you know, about 15 in an inning and you're done and get it in on the hands. And he was really the best at it for sure. Can't argue with it, dude. You know, that's the fun thing about these lists is it's a personal twist. And, you know, you everyone perceives these players differently. And and for me, you know, Trevor Hoffman was my guy. So it's good to see this kind of, you know, debate between the two of us. It was fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was I was I was tempted to go with John Franco until I realized that actually being good is a part of this debate. (laughs) <laughs> he was all right, man. He was okay. He, he was really scary after you know the Mets. The Mets got him from Cincinnati like after his sell-by year. Another guy I was thinking though for this closer debate, and I just want to get your opinion on him before we go to our players of the week. Lee Smith. I love Lee Smith, man. Yeah, I mean the guy yeah. retired. The guy retired as the all-time saves leader. He was the first pitcher I think to have a save against every team in baseball. Yeah, man. And then you, you know who else I had thought about? And this was just for, you know, comic value was, was, uh, what was his name? Beck. John Beck, John, I think his name is. Jeff Beck. No, no, who was, uh, I'm going through all the different, oh, it was John Beck, the guy who yeah. drew the splitter with the, uh, handlebar mustache. Yes, the Cubs guy for a long time. That guy that was guy. entertaining. He was great to watch. I love that guy. Yeah, that's the thing. Closers, closers are always the most colorful because you have to be the weirdest guy possible to be a closer. Yeah. Oh, remember, I know you remember, Turk Wendell was just a weird, weird dude. 
Yeah, I mean, he was more of a mid reliever, but I just I did love the the uh, the shark tooth necklace. Yes, it's the dude. Dude was so weird. It's You'd hilarious. never be able to wear that in baseball now. That's got to be against every uniform rule. Yeah, and and against you know every rule of any grown man wearing that in the streets either. You shouldn't be doing that. Oh yeah, no, if you, you do that. There should be a bunch of people in white coats chasing you down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, dude. So let's go on to our players of the week. Um, just so you know, I have no stats with me for my players of the week. I'm going all by gut and what I watched because of the fact that I looked up so many stats today that you wanted no more. I wanted no more. Give them to me. Who your who passed your eyeball test? Um, Joanna Suspetis. No way. <laughs> Jesus, I'm just this pod homerism. You know, I gotta, I gotta, you know, put it out there so people are aware that this is a lot of Mets. It's it's, it's a little too much, but I'm, I'm I'm in the middle of a very interesting week. Yeah, yeah, you are. I can understand. But Suspetis has also been unreal. Well-deserved, man. Absolutely. Can't argue. Yeah. And then in the AL, because he's been crushing the ball, and I left him off my list, the Poppy. Okay. I can't yeah. argue with that either. You know, he's getting he's getting closer to 500, too, so good it's, for him. It, I, I wanted to have him for him this year. I do too. I do too. Because, you know, I, that's one guy that I, I, I don't have anything bad to say about David Ortiz. You know, he's never been a good defender. He's, you know what you're going to expect from him, but the dude can just crush. And not to mention, I love a guy with a gut that can just go out there and make it look easy. Yeah, I'd actually like to, I'd actually like to call him the worst defensive DH ever. <laughs> it's hard to argue that, man. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, he's one of the only, like, three prominent DHs that I can really think of with long careers. Him, Edgar, and Harold Baines. Harold Baines, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So who, who did you go with? I went with, uh, in National League, I went Nolan Arenado, 393. I did not get tired of stats, everyone. Five home runs and nine RBIs in his last seven. Uh, in the AL, I went with Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr. had a great week. But Arenado, the one thing that's really kind of, misleading about that stat of five home runs is the fact that if you carried it into the week before, you'd homered in six straight games. Yeah, uh, that's like a major league record? Uh, I want to say no, that. it's eight is the major league oh. record. Yeah, he came he came close. Yeah, yeah, no, six in, six in a row is uh, Coors Field or no Coors Field is, is yeah, not an impressive. easy accomplishment. Yeah, yeah home uh, runs don't come very often. No, no, as a man that played baseball, definitely they do not. You yeah. got to enjoy them. As a middle infielder who never hit one in his life, yeah, same. I mean, I hit you in Little League. I'm not a big guy. The home run wasn't my game. I was like, I was a slap hitter. You were a gap guy. I get it. Use the speed. I understand. Yeah, the speed is the speed is waned as I've gotten older. I had no speed, dude. That I caught, so I had nothing. I had nothing to give you. They moved me to first base to give me a day off. It was that kind of situation. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. 440, two homers, ten RBIs, ten RBIs, and 440 average for that guy. Very impressive. This whole about month, month and a half, he's been really hot. Yeah, that's the thing, and that's going back to the whole worst team in baseball. The Red Sox are the worst team in the AL East, although I think Baltimore might overtake them before the season ends. They just um, have too many pieces. Yeah, they do have some good pieces. It's just the pitching's just terrible. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. Dombrowski, though, he's going he's gonna to change that, and we're going to see. Uh, I think that's where we're going to see the most change. Oh, absolutely. All right, man. Well, we're about to close up. You got any uh, anything to shout out? Uh, the new Twitter account? Go ahead. Let the people know. Yeah, so if you want if you want to follow us, we're at seventh inning stretch at seventh INN underscore stretch. We'll be tweeting out random things. We actually always want to solicit feedback from what you guys want to hear us talk about. And you know, just interact with us because 
We like talking to people. Yeah, it makes it a lot funner. So please either reach out to Justin on his personal Twitter or me at Armando Angulo 12 or, or on, on, on the podcast uh, Twitter handle. Reach out to us. Give us a little feedback and hopefully we can incorporate a, some of the things you want to talk about. And, and if you guys want to be a part of this, also, you know, reach out to us and we'd love to, you know, talk to you and then see how we can get you involved with the seventh inning stretch going forward. Uh, but for us here at the seventh inning stretch, once again, I'm Armando Angulo from Justin. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting us uh make sure that you guys uh tune in next week uh, we're, we're planning on having a really good guest for you guys so hopefully that pans out next week and, and we can give you guys some great information and some great perspective uh from us once again thank you and uh enjoy your weekend of baseball everyone let's go Matt. Spreading the news I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York